You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. It's a joy to gather with you. We are starting a a little mini, mini two week sermon series called Peace, God's Great Battle Plan for Anxious Minds and Hearts. Um, Wrestling with being anxious probably affects more of us than we realize. Um, In fact, in the United States alone, healthcare workers have identified the greatest shared struggle among people is anxiety. Um, One study showed that the average person will spend over six years out of the time of their life being anxious. Isn't that incredible? Six years being anxious. So the odds are that even in this room, even among us, even in this small little church, that, that among us you have either experienced anxiety or are currently experiencing anxiety or at some point you will feel the wave of anxiousness come crashing against you. And so those are the odds. And so our, our hope just over the it's just a short two Sundays that we have. But our hope is that over the course of these two Sundays is to take the struggle with anxiety and to address it with the word of God. Now, we know because of the brokenness of our bodies that even there can be physiological imbalances that can happen. And sometimes there there is help needed, medical help that is needed. So we it's not like we're just bypassing that. But this morning we do want to say wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, the Lord speaks to anxiousness. God's word speaks to being anxious. And so we want to allow God's word to speak to that and then to speak to us this morning. Amen. Amen. So in your Bibles, Philippians chapter four, follow along with me as I read from verses four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. That you you have a word. You, You have spoken. And in your grace, you have given us your word that we can open up and read every single day. And it says the same thing today that it said yesterday. And it will say the same thing tomorrow. And Lord, within your word, there is so much good. And so, Lord, we pray that would you draw out from your word and implant your word into our hearts and minds this morning. And may you give peace, Lord. May you teach us. We know that this battle with fear, a battle with anxiety, with worry and dread is not something that we just kind of graduate on from. We live in a broken world where every day is new 
filled with new worries and new cares and new trouble. And so it's almost as if it just keeps hitting us. But Lord, you have your word and you want to teach us. You want to equip us. You want to care for your church to endure anxious moments and to trust you. Lord, would you pour out your word in power through your Holy Spirit and may you give peace to your people today. In Jesus' name we pray and the church says, amen. Amen. Growing up, I had a friend who uh, lived just down the street from me and nearly every day I would, I would hop on my little bike. I was in elementary school. I'd hop on my little bike and I would make my way down the street to my friend's house. But there was only one problem. There was a neighborhood dog that was always loose. Every day. <laughs> always loose. This dog was not just like a friendly little guy. This dog was a big, mean dog. And even his name just sounded like a neighborhood bully. His name was Curly. It just sounds like a guy who would tip you over and put you in the, the toilet, right? Or take your lunch money or tie your shoes and throw them up on the, the, the light pole or something. Curly, the dog. Um, this, this dog would just hunt me down, it felt like, every day. Without fail, as I would set off to ride my bike to my friend's house, that dog would chase me. It would come running out of nowhere, snarling and growling and biting at my bike and my legs. It was terrifying. Before uh, leaving my house, what I would do is I would, I would look down the street to see where he was, and I would sort of plan a way to sneak past him. Um, I would be shaking, trembling, just this little kid trying to get down the street. I would be shaking and trembling. And I would, I, there were times I thought, okay, I don't think he's there anymore. And I would go, and, and all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, here he would come bursting out of the bushes, chasing me down, and I'd be pedaling. It probably didn't help that I had a little card in the, my back tire where I just sent it like this little mini motorcycle around the neighborhood. That probably didn't serve, looking back now. Um, but, but anyway... It just seemed as if I couldn't escape this dog chasing me down. It was like he was hunting me. In fact, one day it actually bit my friend and took him off of his bike. So this was, this was no, no joke. It felt like I just, I, there were days I felt like, doesn't this dog just get tired of doing this? Of chasing and hunting me down? I just want to get from here to there. I'm not even bothering the dog. Why keep hunting me down? Brothers and sisters, isn't that what the battle with anxiety can feel like? Isn't that what the battle of fear and worry and dread can feel like? I just want to, I'm just trying to get from here to there without any trouble. I'm just trying to mind my own business and live a happy life. And all of a sudden, it seems almost as if out of nowhere, here it comes snarling and growling and with these unrelenting fears that just come bursting out towards you, almost feeling as if it just keeps on nipping at you. You're on the airplane and turbulence hits, anxious. You're looking at the bills you need to be, that you need to pay compared to the money you have in your account and what happens? Anxious. 
your spouse and your kids leave the house and you're there alone and all of a sudden, anxious. There's a disagreement with a close friend that you love and all of a sudden your mind is racing all day and night thinking, what do they think about me? What is going to happen? What, 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 I should have said this. You're replaying it in your mind and what, and what do you do? You're laying your head down at night. What's happening? Anxious, right? I mean, you just keep going down the list. You're with a group of friends and you say something you re- immediately regret. Haven't we all been there? I've been there several times. You say something and you immediately regret it. And now your, your mind is racing. What do they think of me? Do they think I'm even a believer? Do they even think I'm saved? You're anxious. You have the privilege and joy of leading something and teaching something that you so enjoy doing. But all the while, the entire time leading up to that moment, anxious. You're remembering past failures and you're afraid it will happen again. Anxious. Pondering future uncertainty. You look in the mirror and you find a lump or, or something with health. And what happens? Anxious. Right. Anxious. Brothers and sisters, on and on and on. The more you live in this sin-broken world, the more you realize that daily life is filled with battle after battle for our minds and our hearts. Anxiousness is not just a modern day issue. Paul first wrote these words to the Philippian church in ancient Rome. Uh, And from reading the letter to the Philippians and reading back in Acts chapter 16, when the letter was first, or when the church was first brought about, you kind of see this. So Philippi was a church in the midst of anxiety-producing circumstances, both in the church and outside of the church. They, they were enduring, enduring ongoing persecution for being followers of Jesus in a pagan Roman colony. The townspeople, if you remember this, the townspeople beat Paul and Silas and threw them into jail because a demon-possessed girl was set free. That was their response. It was a response of praise, like, wow, that's amazing. God is with us. No, it was like, who are, this is weird. You're crazy. Beat them down, throw them into jail. This was not a city welcoming to followers of Jesus. The pressure pressure to just fit in and not look different would have been very, very real in this society. So they were being persecuted There were false teachers trying to lead them astray. So you can imagine, who do we trust now? So now your heart is anxious with, can we even trust this pastor? Can we trust this guy? Who do we trust? Is he feeding us well? Anxious, right? On top of that, because of personal sin within the church, they were experiencing broken relationships among the body of Christ. There was pride and disagreements and division among those who were supposed to be in closest, most loving and trusting relationship with. In fact, the verses that are connected to the verses we just read, verses four through seven, the verses right before it, verses two through three, are, are Paul, are, Paul is confronting their broken relationships in the church. So these verses actually flow out of relational strife and difficulty. There were battles from outside of the church and from within. So many reasons to be anxious and fearful. So many reasons for their joy to be stolen away. And can we find ourselves in the exact same position? So many battles, so little joy, and so much anxiousness. 
But praise the Lord, precious saints, because he cares for us and he's given us a Bible passage like this today. This passage reveals his great battle plan for anxious minds and hearts. That's what this passage is. these, These wonderful verses are a strategic plan laid out by God himself to equip and enable you to withstand the attacks of anxiousness and lead you to the place of refuge, to the place of true peace. That's what this, these verses are. You could say it's a roadmap, it's a battle plan, however you want to say, that's what this is. And so it's as if the Lord gives us four grace-saturated commands that are meant to point us in the right direction because we can get disoriented. And so it's almost as if he's just pointing us just very clearly. This is the direction to go. Go this direction. But they aren't just commands because we can normally hear the word commands and here it's just stern, right? Stop it. Don't do that, right? I, I am ashamed how often I use that in my parenting. Just stop that. Don't do that. But why did I just stop it, Okay. That's not how these should land on our hearts. These commands are given from the Lord are meant to orient us. They're meant to take the heart that is weary and disoriented and to point us in the right direction and to steady our hearts. That's what these verses are. So hear it less as command. That's kind of why I say they are grace saturated commands. They're given by the Lord. He provides help to do them. And they're not a a yell. Think of them as a sweet invitation. A sweet invitation to come and turn away from failing joys and come and know where true peace is found. True joy is found. So grace-saturated commands or sweet invitations. And then at the end, we will see The Lord ends this passage with a sweet, just beautiful, supernatural promise from the Lord to us that will lead us then to worship our precious Savior. Okay, so the first grace saturated command we're given in God's great battle plan for our minds and hearts is in verse four. Root your joy in the Lord. Root your joy in the Lord. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is not Paul's first time instructing this church towards joy. From the beginning of this letter, every single chapter, he has both modeled joy and encouraged the church towards joy in the midst of his own very difficult circumstances. Paul is writing this letter from prison. His his life is is filled with uncertainty. He doesn't know if he is going to live or to die. And on top of that, there are people outside of prison that are preaching, but they are preaching with wrong motives to try to harm and discredit or lie about Paul. So he doesn't know if he's going to live or die in this prison. And outside of prison, people are trying to make sure that his reputation at least dies. Precious saints, for most of us, that alone would be enough to crush us with anxiety because we so often care about what people think of us. 
So he himself is experiencing very difficult and unfavorable circumstances, yet declares, rejoice in the Lord always. That immediately just kind of gives him credit, right? There, there is a credit there. There is a sense of like, okay, let me open my ears and listen to what he has to say. It's not like he's just living in the palace. Everything is cushy and, and he's saying, hey, yeah, it's everybody rejoice. You know, just be glad, glad in the Lord. It's like, well, what do I do with all the, I'm in prison. What am I supposed to do? No, he, he himself is experiencing difficulty. So let's just open our ears and hear what the Lord has for us. The joy he's talking about isn't joy rooted in our circumstances. Most often, that's where we root our joy, is in our circumstances. Things are going well, and so I am glad. And then things are not going well, or may possibly not go well, and now all of my gladness is gone. Saints, you can often, I, I, I have to do this. This is like a daily thing. You can often recognize if you are rooting your joy merely in your circumstances by paying attention to your joy meter. Is it always fluctuating based on what's happening? Is it up or down based off of what I'm experiencing? I'll, I'll tell you, church, far too often my joy is fluctuating with what's happening. Right? You, you wake up, you're feeling good, feeling great until you start driving in San Antonio. Right? All of a sudden, whew, it rises up within you. Precious saints, I felt it this week. I go, our dog has like got allergies. They didn't even know dogs could have allergies. The dog has allergies, so you're taking him to the vet. And then you get there, and as I'm walking in, they're like, oh, you can't come in unless you have a mask. And we have to take your temperature. And I'm, I'm thinking immediately, I was unprepared. I'm thinking, are you the only place in the world doing that still, or what's happening? And, and they're like, oh, well, here, you've got a mask for you. But I feel in my heart rise up. Something ro- rose up within me. Oh, like anger all of a sudden or something. Why was I angry over something so small and simple? Do you see? Do you see? When we're rooting our joy in what we're experiencing, it's just fluctuating all day, up and down. This joy that's being talked about. Oh, and let me just say, the Lord showed me that in that moment. I gladly took a mask. I let them take my temperature and I sat down with my dog and we got, we got done what we needed to do. <laughs> so the Lord met me in that moment and gave much grace in that moment. But I feel that. I share that with you because I feel that, that tension of joy in our circumstances. This joy that's being talked about is not defined by being the most bubbly person in the room or the loudest person in the room. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, the same writer, actually says this. He says that they were sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Well, how can that be? Sorrowful yet rejoicing are married together? How can that be? We'll tell you. This joy is Christian joy. It's Christian joy. It's a gladness and well-being of heart, not merely being driven by our circumstances, being favorable to us, but it is a joy, a gladness and well-being that's produced in the Lord. 
It's in the Lord where this joy is found. In the Lord. It's it, the joy that's being motivated and compelled because it is connected to Christ Jesus himself. The Christian must constantly aim to root our joy in Jesus. As we live in a sin-broken world filled with heartache and trouble, if we're rooting our joy in fleeting things, our joy will indeed be a roller coaster up and down all the time. But when the Christian considers who Christ is and what he has done for us on the cross and what he will do when he returns. So hence then it's rooted in the gospel of Jesus, right? This good news of Christ and his saving work. When we root our joy, when the Christian considers that, there is this never-ending, unchanging, non-fluctuating river of gladness that awaits for us to drink from. When we consider Christ and how He is unchanging, who He is and what He has done, it is not going to change. It is this ever-flowing river of life that we drink from. The psalmist declares in Psalm 16 that at the right hand of the Father, I, I, I love this. I still remember the day when this kind of clicked for me. The psalmist in Psalm 16 says that at the right hand of the Father is this fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And on this side of the cross, precious saints, who do we know ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his precious people right this very moment? Jesus himself. It's Christ Jesus himself. When we turn our eyes to Christ, we find that there is so much gladness and well-being to be found. In Christ, we have forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. In Christ, we have a faithful shepherd who is tending to our every need. He cares for us. He tends to our heart. He tends to our worries. In Christ, we have the promises of never-ending mercy and grace to sustain and to help us in time of need. In Christ, we have the assurance that he is sovereignly reigning as the King of kings and Lord of lords over our circumstances, whether good or difficult. And precious saints, in Christ, we can confidently know that what the enemy intends to crush us with, because we do have an enemy and he does want to crush us, what the enemy intends to crush us with, the Lord Jesus intends and is divinely purposing it to bring about his glory and goodness in our lives. What good and well-being there is in Christ. Through this command to rejoice in the Lord always, the Lord is inviting us to turn from failing joys and to constantly Turn to him for unfailing joy. To join in with the psalmist and to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what the invitation is. Paul even says, again, I will say, 
rejoice. It, it, he's basically saying, I'm going to keep saying this every time I talk to you, orienting your hearts and your minds towards joy in the Lord. And why? Why do this over and over again? Because isn't the fight for what is motivating our joy a moment-by-moment battle? Life could be going great, and all of a sudden, one of your kids starts to have a fit of anger. Boom. The fight for what's motivating my joy is on. You're at work, and all of a sudden, the manager comes and tells you to do something that you really don't want to do, and boom, the fight for what is motivating your joy is on. The fight for joy doesn't ever stop. From the moment we wake up, it is a moment-by-moment battle for rightly placed joy in the Lord or misplaced joy that will fail you over and over and over again. The Philippians church, we we heard a moment ago, was battling with persecution and false teaching from the outside and battling with relational strife and disagreement and fights and quarrels on the inside. And all of that was a recipe for anxiousness. And what do, we, what do we know from James, from the James's letter, what do we know about the root of what causes fights and quarrels or battles among us? What do we know? Listen, James chapter four, verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's gonna answer us now. Is it not this, that your passions, i.e. your delights or your joys are at war within you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? What is it? Is it not that your joys, your passions are at war within you? Precious saints, our joy in these these moments has strayed from being rooted in the Lord to being rooted in earthly pursuits. What I want. And we are moved from trusting God that he is working in that unfavorable circumstance towards feeling that we must then fight for what we think is best for us. That's what's happening when we are fighting and quarreling. We cease to trust the Lord's goodness and we feel like we gotta make something good happen. And so we're angry and aggressive, we're discontent and filled with anxiousness. So so then it's no surprise that the second grace-saturated command we're given is this. Follow the Lord's example of reasonableness. The beginning of verse five, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness is translated the majority of the time in the New Testament as gentleness. It's a gentle and patient posture towards those around you that isn't responding out of sudden rush of emotion in that moment, but is reasonably looking at the situation in light of truth and grace. It is to have a self-controlled, gracious, and forbearing spirit that when sinned against is able to rise above the offense in faith. That's what this this reasonableness is. It is a faith-filled forbearance that moves someone to entrust themselves to the will of God for their lives in the midst of unfavorable circumstances, even circumstances where we maybe are even being sinned against. Where do we find the ultimate example of that? It's in Jesus himself. 
when we look to Christ our Savior. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, listen to this. For to this you have been called, Christian. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So in other words, the word is saying he didn't deserve any of it. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting. That is so key. He continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly, to God the Father. At the heart of faith-filled forbearance or Christ-like reasonableness is trust. Trusting God that he's got you, that he's with you, that he's good. Even when things aren't going your way, it's what led Jesus to pray to the Father, your kingdom come, and your will be done. How, how could he pray something like that? Because often I'm praying, Jesus changed that. <laughs> Father, do something about that right now, right? Change this. But Jesus entrusts himself to God the Father enough to say, your kingdom come and your will be done. He trusts God the Father enough to entrust himself into the plans and purposes of God the Father for him. Even the moments of rejection, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was ahead of him, precious ones. Even the rejection, accusations, the physical affliction, the weakness being treated wrongly in all of it, he entrusted himself because of an unwavering trust in God the Father for every part of his life. Jesus could forbear. He could be reasonable and live a life of peacefulness because by faith in the Father, he had a peaceful mind and heart. Each of these points, it's interesting because you, even coming into today, you, you might have been thinking, well, we're just going to talk solely about just an anxious heart. But in this the word is even addressing peace with others, peace within and peace around us. It makes no sense for someone to say, well, I want a peaceful heart, but then they live with zero peace with other people around them. That will not add to a peaceful heart, I'll just tell you. And we all know that. So the Lord's aim is, is a peaceful life in and outside of us. A peaceful life. And by grace, as the Christian turns to Jesus for help in this, we find both an example of Jesus, like we just read in 1 Peter, and he is our enablement. He is the way. He calls us to follow him, and he helps us to follow him. Third, the third grace-saturated command we're given is, remember the nearness of the Lord. The second half of verse 5. Paul says, the Lord is at hand. Some translations may say the Lord is near. The assurance of this little verse is huge for us. 
the assurance that are, that are tied to those four or five little words are huge for us. And it can really be applied to our minds and hearts like bomb, like medicine for us. First, the Lord is, is near in, in the sense that we belong to him and he is coming for you. He is at hand. He is on his way. He is at the door and he is near to you. He is coming to rescue. That is the first way we can take this. James chapter 5 verse 8 hits on that. It says this, establish your hearts. Why? How? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts for the Lord is coming. That's one way we take this verse. He's coming for you. I think of like the hero on the white horse, right? I mean, almost literally the hero on a white horse to save his distressed bride. He's on his way. And what can the bride do as she waits? She knows the distress call has gone out and he is on his way. He is coming. What can she do then? She can wait and rest knowing he is coming to rescue her. That is the first way we can take this verse. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. He is on his way to finish his sweet rescue. The second way is for is sweet. It's for today. It just grabs hold of us. It assures us. It assures our heart because it reminds us that the Lord is with us today. The Lord is close by. We can so often be tempted to think or feel that he is not near. Can't you? We, we live by faith. We, we don't see him. So we can be tempted to think he, he isn't near. He's distant and he's unaware from what we are experiencing. And because we feel alone, we feel alone. We begin to believe that we truly are alone But God's word here grabs a hold of your mind and heart and says, no, despite what you feel, and you can't always trust what you feel because your heart is deceitful above all things, right, Jeremiah? Remember that? You can't always trust what you feel. And despite what you feel, here is what is true. The Lord is near. The Lord is near to you. Precious saints, if we don't see God's word as sufficient for every need that we have, then those words will not be comfort to you. But for the heart that says this is his word to me, when he says, I am near to you, it is meant to provide incredible comfort to your heart. When you look all throughout scripture, When God was sending people out into this difficult world, you look at Moses, you look at Jeremiah, the apostles and the Great Commission, they're climbing up the mountain and we're told that some doubted as they're going up. For each one, there was worry, there was fear, there were doubts, there was anxiousness. For each and every single one, Jeremiah says, I'm just a youth, what can I do, Lord? What can I do? Moses says, I can't speak well, where are you going to send me? Send somebody else. Who am I? The apostles are doubting, climbing up the hill. Is this really happening? What's going on here? For each and every single one, but for every single one, 
the Lord gave comfort to them. And it was not, hey, I'm going to make everything turn out peachy. It's not going to be hard. Don't you worry. That wasn't his comfort, was it? Do you remember what his comfort is for each and every single one of those? It was, do not be afraid. And why? I am with you. That was the comfort. Don't don't be afraid. I, I go with you. I won't leave you. I rule and reign over all things. All authority and power in heaven and earth have been given to me. And guess what? I am with you until the end of the age. That is the comfort that the Lord chooses to give to us because of who our Lord is in glory and might and power and steadfast love and faithfulness and because of who He considers you to be, His precious, beloved little sheep. He intends for those words, I am with you, to be a comforting assurance to your heart. If He says He is with you, you can trust Him And let your little heart be at rest. You can know, precious saints, that you are joining in with generations of old. With a heart filled with worry, but yet saying, oh Lord, I want to trust in you. Right? Psalm 56 is a beautiful picture of the marrying of those things of fear and faith. Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. It's the merging of fear and faith. Because you're with me, Lord. You're with me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for us, so many of us, that we don't consider the the weight of those words. The Lord is near. He's with you. Not that long ago, we were leaving our fellowship group at nighttime. So it's dark and I'm holding one of my girl's hands and we're walking across the street to the van on this darkened street. And it's just darker as you go. And there were bushes by the, by the van and we're walking. And one of my daughters, as I'm holding her hand. I feel her begin to pull back. She begins to pull me. And I'm like kind of nudging her back. and like, come on, love, let's go. And she's saying, no, daddy, no, I can't see it's too dark. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Dad. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm telling her, sweetie, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm holding your, I'm literally holding your head and I am walking with you. And I can see. I can see. I know what's right there. It's okay. Just come on. Come on. She was, poor thing, was paralyzed with fear. And I thought in that moment, and I, and I told her, sweetie, sweetie, trust me. Trust me. I am with you. Trust me. And it just, it, it connected to these types of truths for us. Because isn't that us? Isn't that us? The Lord says, I'm with you, precious one. I am with you. But we say, I can't see though. I can't see. I am afraid. I don't know what's ahead of me. And what does it reveal with Lily and me? It really did reveal that she didn't trust me. She didn't trust that my words were sufficient. And I was literally walking with her. That's why when I told her, I'm with you, it wasn't enough for her little heart. Precious saints, when the Lord says, I am with you, he's beckoning and inviting us to say, and saying, trust me, trust me. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. 
If he says he is with you, then precious saint, you have already got the most important assurance and comfort you will ever need. But sometimes we have to remind our little wayward hearts that that's true, don't we? Fourth and last grace-saturated command and invitation that God gives us. Verse six, he said, or the, the point is battle anxiousness by praying with thanksgiving. Battle anxiousness by praying with thanksgiving. Do, he says in verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All throughout the Bible, there are so many times that the words do not be anxious are repeated throughout Scripture. Yet, so often, we are anxious. We are anxious. Being anxious is to be worried, is to dread something, to anticipate something bad happening. Anxiousness. To anticipate something bad happening. It's ultimately Ultimately, anxiousness or anxiety is rooted in fear. It's rooted in fear. Fear that I am going to lose something or something isn't going to turn out good. And so I'm afraid. And it bleeds into every little thing. Often when you're anxious, ask yourself that I have to do this. Why am I feeling overwhelmed right now? Why am I feeling anxious? What am I afraid of? What am I fearing in this moment? What am I wanting rather than trusting God? Am I wanting rather than trusting God? The word picture for anxiousness is like this. It's like we're, we're being pulled in different directions. We're, we're, what we're hoping for is there. What I really hope for, what I think is good, what I'm really hoping for, what I think is right is over there. But my circumstances, what's happening is not letting me get to there or have that or keep that. And now I'm being pulled this way. And so what happens is, Anxiousness. I'm being pulled in different directions. It feels as if I am literally being torn apart. That's what it feels as if, what it's like. That's the word picture for anxiousness. It's this longing for something so strongly, but I'm afraid I'm not going to get it or keep it because my circumstances seem to be going the opposite way. And now I'm overcome. I'm worried because what I think is the best thing, what I think is the best thing and the thing I need most may not happen. And now I'm anxious. But the word says, instead of continuing to worry, the call for the Christian is to pray. We are to take every care of our hearts and minds, all of our need, anxieties, trouble, to the Lord in prayer because He cares for us. And that may sound overly simplified. It may sound overly simplified, but if you're anything like me, anything like me, there are so many times when I am worried or feeling anxious about something and I just keep thinking about it and I never really actually pray about it. If you're like me, man, I'm a great thinker. (laughs) I think all the time. But that's not what we're called to do. And that actually doesn't serve us. 
There are so many times I realize I am not even praying about this. I am thinking a lot about it. And man, what happens when you think about it? It's actually one of the most dangerous things for us. It, 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 it is so dangerous for us because what happens? You just start to replay the trouble in your mind. You're replaying it. And all of a sudden, what starts happening? You start to feel things, don't you? You start to feel stuff rise up within you. Perfect example. The other day, we're riding in the, in the van. And I'm sorry to use my little girls for examples. I'll do that right now until they get older. <laughs> we're riding in the van. And, and one of them had something happen to them earlier in the day. They, used, they were used to sitting in this, this seat in this part of the room. And they walked in one day and it was moved. <laughs> like, whoa, that threw her off. And, and she was upset about it. Like, I don't get to sit by my friends. I don't get to, no one asked me. And, I'm, and we're driving in the van and it's quiet. And I start hearing her talk. And she's saying things like this. I, I just walked in and they moved my chair. I, they didn't ask me. There was nothing. What? I didn't want that. I was, and I started hearing it rise up. I, I didn't want that. I was, why would they do that to me? Why would that? And then all of a sudden she's crying in the back seat. Precious saints, that is what we do as adults. Our minds start running and our emotions start following. the perfect picture. We must take the cares of our heart to the Lord over and over again. And notice how we're instructed to pray. We let our requests be made known to God, but with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. We don't often pray in the midst of anxiousness with thankfulness, do we? Let's just be honest with ourselves. We don't often pray in the midst of anxiousness with thankfulness. To pray with thanksgiving to God means that in the midst of troublesome circumstances, we are even more aware of how God has already been good to me. How he has loved me in Christ and already provided for my greatest need through Christ. And instead of tiring our mind upon the anxiety-inducing uncertainties and letting it run, it's as if we think upon the goodness of God and express thanks to God, and we are allowing our minds to rest upon the countless acts of mercy and provisions of grace He has already poured out upon us for our good. That's what praying with thanksgiving does, precious saints. It makes you be a grace hunter. It makes you think about the good of God in the midst of trouble. It doesn't allow your mind to keep running with the trouble. It says, put the trouble and park it right here. And let's go and let's think about the good God is doing. If you're going to pray with thankfulness, that's what you have to do, isn't it? That's the battle plan of God for our minds, precious saints. He cares about your mind. He cares about what you think about. Next week, we're going to talk even more about that as Paul so often uses the word phroneo throughout the letter of Philippians over and over again. And it's this incredible word that captures the mind and heart that I think this way. And so I feel this way. 
I know this, and so it's right for me to feel this way about you. He uses that word when he talks about other Christians. He says, I think this about you. I know that you're a partaker of grace, and so it's right for me to feel this way about you. It's phroneo, to think and feel the, the way, this way. We'll talk about it more next Sunday, next week. To think, to think is like a sword. To think upon the goodness of God. And to thank God is a sword in the hand of the pilgrim. It's a sword in the hand of the Christian against that foe of anxiousness and fear. To think about that if if he has already taken care of my greatest need, being reconciled to him and saving grace, then surely in his sustaining and transforming grace, I can trust that he is present and with me and working even now for my good. A thankfulness for who God is and what he has done produces within you a trust of his goodness towards you today. Remembering his his goodness and thanking him for yesterday and what he's done through Christ produces a trust for today that he's still doing good. Isaiah 26, three, listen to this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. (sighs) The more a mind is filled with thanksgiving, the less room there is for anxiety in the heart. And I've been anxious, precious saints. I've had moments where it feels like it's an enemy come rushing against you. But the mind that is filled with thanksgiving gives less room for anxiety in the heart. It doesn't mean it comes easy. It's not easy. In fact, most of the time we have to battle for thankful thoughts. To be thankful in the midst of worry requires you to preach to your heart rather than listen to it. You have to, the good doctor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think was the first one that I ever heard come up with that. You have got to preach to your heart. Your heart is often sick and wayward, deceitful, You can't trust what it whispers to you. You can't trust what it feels all the time. You have got to preach the truth of God's word to that wayward heart. There have been many times, precious saints, I have had to repeat that Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, Lord. When my health battles set in upon me, I had no idea what was happening. I just would would get incredibly weak. And I was fearful. What is happening to me? I actually, at one point, felt like, Lord, am I dying? I I feel incredibly broken. My body is not working like it should. Precious saints, I had a week like that this week. Body is not working like it should. And I'm asking the Lord, Lord, will you give the doctors wisdom? What is happening to my body? In the midst of that, the heart wants to be filled with dread and doubt to say, how can this be good for me, Lord? But the mind set upon the truth of God says, oh, no, my God was good yesterday. and He's still good to me today. 
The anxious heart wants to despair as if there is nothing good. But being thankful requires a mind to be set on the goodness of God that then turns and recounts and preaches God's goodness to our heart. And it's not easy. It's a battle. But by God's grace, he has given us his powerful spirit who is indwelt in in his people to help us for such a task like the battle of being thankful. Last, as we pray with thanksgiving, casting all our cares upon the Lord, the Lord himself gives us a promise in verse seven, a promise of peace for the anxious mind and heart. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, right? It's a battle. The Lord Jesus knows that. It's a battle for your mind and heart. And so what does he say? This peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Precious saints, in this verse, the word of the Lord declares a promise of intervening grace, no matter the odds, no matter the day or the hour, no matter how you feel, the power of God is able to calm our souls and steady our troubled hearts as he powerfully, powerfully intervenes and floods our hearts and minds with his supernatural peace that washes over every fear and anxiety. And where is it found? Where is that peace found? People are going all over the place, even in this city, to try to find peace. Oh my. There's a building that every time we drive by it, I know people are going there to try to find peace in our city. And it's filled with terrible things for them. And as every time my family drives by it, we just pray, Lord, would you shut that place down? Would you save the people who walk in that building? Lead them to you, to the true place of peace. We are these little creatures that try to find peace in all these different failing things. But he says, there is peace found in Christ. He says he will guard your hearts and minds. Where? In Christ Jesus himself. The peace of God is a gospel gift from God. So it is only found in God, the son, Jesus. You want peace? Run to Jesus. Don't run to. Don't run to the cabinet. Don't run to the fridge. You run to Jesus. You don't run to these buildings in our city that offer you peace. Just escape from all your worries. No, you run to Jesus. You can't even run. Now, God has given some of us spouses and friends. But ultimate peace is not found in them. It's in Jesus alone. You run to Jesus. When he says this peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ, it is a beautiful picture. 
It's a beautiful picture. Paul knows who he's writing to. He's writing to this. People would have been filled with past soldiers, right? Rome did that for Roman colonies. They would fill it with retired soldiers to take over the city in a sense, to make it as Roman as possible. And so the church would have been aware of what was happening in the city. There would have been soldiers all over the place, like soldiers even in this room, in our city, soldiers all over the place. They would have known what it meant to guard something, to be garrisoned around something. And he knows, he knows the words he's using. God has strategically allowed his word to use this word. It is to, to guard is this, it's this word that describes for soldiers to be garrisoned around a city. For soldiers to be entrusted into that they are assigned now to a city to guard and to encamp around the city and to be ready for battle at any moment. To guard the city. Soldiers garrisoned around to defend the city at all costs so that it is kept safe from the enemy. It is a fortified city. It is a safe city. It is a peaceful city. And the Lord allows for that same word to be used for his peace, guarding our hearts and minds. It is that description that he uses his peace encamped around us like soldiers guarding our hearts and minds in the midst of the battles of life as we run to Christ for refuge in his strong tower. In Christ, we are fortified, garrisoned, encamped around, defended and peaceful. Oh, precious saints. Precious saints, I, I wish we could just keep going. I wish we could just go for hours because there is so much we could have just unpacked here and just presented to your hearts. Precious saints, we want to respond to the Lord in this. This call to come and pray, to come and give thanks to God. Set your mind upon his goodness together. What do we do when we sing? That's what we're doing. We're preaching to our hearts When we sing, we're praising the Lord because he's worthy and we're preaching to our hearts. We're saying, Lord, okay, I may not feel this, but I know this is true. You are deserving of all my praise. You are deserving of it all. Listen to Psalm 46. That is what the Psalms so often model for us. If you're wrestling with anxiousness, run to the Psalms. Run to the Psalms and and connect Jesus' finished work to the Psalms. Go and run there. Psalm 46. Listen to this. This is what they're doing. They are preaching to their hearts. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And listen to all the trouble. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. Amen. Amen. We are joining in with generations of God's people going through all sorts of trouble and needing to preach his truth to our hearts. Let's pray.